Alex Canaris Sotiru, what is your favorite game? Uh, my favorite game is The Secret of Monkey Island. So uh, yeah, I guess I started playing games from quite a young age, which I have a Commodore 64 and then uh, uh, an Amiga after that. And in fact, even earlier, I think we started off with a, um, an Acorn Electron. Uh, so I guess it's like the same time as the BBC Micro and they shared a lot of games. And it, we used to buy these Play It Again Sam compilations on tape that would come with four four games. And I think, um, yeah, actually, there was my favourite game at the time was a series called Repton, which was almost like a Boulder Dash clone, I think. Um, but then I think it was when the Amiga came along, and uh, that, yeah, as as obviously I work in uh, on the art side now in games, that the the kind of I was becoming more aware of the kind of artistic possibilities uh, of games and of of storytelling with the um, uh, with the Amiga, which yeah, definitely got lots of on memories of that and i think we i think it was i can't remember if it was a christmas or when when we got the amiga but we got there was a it was a like a, a cartoon capers bundle that the amiga 500 came with and it had captain planet bart simpson uh bart simpson versus the space mutants and it, but importantly it also came with deluxe paint 3 so that was actually when i first started uh to kind of be able to create art on a computer and also like really shonky animations but like but even then just seeing anything moving was uh was quite exciting and then i guess like graduated to to snares and consoles and um uh and i think games were a lot of the reason why i had a big interest in art and storytelling and so um after school i did went and did art foundation which was a year of just sculpture life drawing and um, but i always got draw i always you know, drew myself back to to art and animation, and then from there, I kind of realised that you could go and study this stuff at university. <laughs> and so, uh, so I went down to study at the National Centre for Computer Animation, which is down in in Bournemouth, and from there, uh, you know, just carried on playing games. And obviously, this was quite a while ago now. So this was like ninety eight to two thousand. So the console at the time we had in our student flat was the Dreamcast. Which we all loved, uh, playing Soul Calibur and Crazy Taxi, and more, the the pinnacle was Sega Bass Fishing too. That was the kind of student game of choice. Ah, um, Chris and Don would like to have a word with you. Ah, <laughs> <laughs> is is he a fan? I, I'm pretty sure he'd mentioned it when he did his episode a few oh, years ago. Oh wow! Yeah, no, I think there's something very relaxing about that game, which obviously fits well into our student mindset. It was it was at the time, but the um. But then, yeah, so I was there for three years and it wasn't a game-specific course. 
uh it covered uh like film effects all that kind of stuff as well um but in in the final year uh we had this masterclass project where people from industry would come in and you could pick which which kind of masterclass project you wanted to do and the one that i chose to do was was set by sony cambridge which was um basically you had to make a playstation 2 um like spec character uh like you know hitting all the poly count limits and all that kind of stuff as well as doing the concept so yeah that was my that was my kind of foot in the door and um yes on the back of that project they offered me a, a a junior role as a as a character artist and animator when I graduated. Obviously, you mentioned how Sega Bass Vision was sort of a relaxing sort of game to play at a time. Like, um, I have to ask. Obviously, like, did that have that sort of did that sort of relaxing influ- uh, aspect of the game sort of have an influence on the sort of games you want to sort of make and uh, play? Even yeah, I mean, I think I've always been really interested in when games can create a strong sense of place and really transport you somewhere else um i mean also there's like i guess like reading a book or like listening to music there's, there's really like an infinite variety of tones and and ways you can go with that so it's nice to have a contrast and i like to play like different types of games but yeah definitely having some games where you really get transport transported somewhere and it is very relaxing and takes your mind off things like it's um it's as powerful as the games that are really you know, kinetic and frantic and really engage with you um on more of an action level so yeah it's um yeah it's definitely i think in in my favorite games tend to be the ones that have created a really strong sense of place um and also yeah the ones that um just like really drip with atmosphere um yeah i, I often play games to relax and return to the ones yeah ones that i've in, enjoyed yeah so i started so yeah uh 2002 is when i started so it's ps2 era and i was joining um like the last year and a half or so of a playstation 2 project called ghost hunter um oh i remember that yeah so the, the studio the cambridge studio had i think as i was joining i had a couple of months left before the release of primal uh, so it was quite an exciting time to be joining the studio because I remember watching the Grand Prix at the time and in the advert break there was an advert for Primal. I was like, I'm working there. That's quite exciting. Um, <laughs> uh, Ghost Hunter wasn't as quite as... Uh, it didn't get quite the same advertising. Uh, but it was, a really, it was a really great first project because I think one of the things I really liked about working in games then, which I've kind of come slightly full circle with now going indie, is that you got to do lots of different things. So... Um, so as a kind of junior character artist and animator, I'd like uh, I'd basically get a concept design from the lead artist, and then I'd build the kind of 3D geometry of the characters. I'd texture them. I'd also like, skin and, and rig them and do all the technical setup, and then animate them. We'd also do all the kind of cutscene direction. Um, so yeah, you'd, you'd, it was really varied work, um, and yeah, so that was quite exciting. I think I really liked that that kind of period and that you know being able to do i guess like joined up working where you'd be able to like you know see every different all the different stages of how things are put together versus as it got kind of ps3 and ps4 in terms of i mean i kind of moved into more art lead and art director positions anyway but on the character stuff um you know things become much more specialized so by the time we got around to like ps3 i spent um yeah, I spent like a year and a half out in Amsterdam working with Gorilla, uh, who then there was a kind of close working relationship between the the Sony Cambridge studio and, and Gorilla in Amsterdam. Obviously, 
Cambridge mm. later became Gorilla Cambridge, so it was even you know, even close working relationship. But uh, so yeah, doing characters for Kills and Two was quite interesting because by by that point things have become much more specialised from an art point of view. So rather than you know modelling the characters and texturing the characters and rigging and animating, you'd just do the you know the character creation part. Um, and then you know there'd be the teams were all much bigger and they were much more more specialised. And that is kind of offers its own its own challenges. I think it allows people to hit a higher quality bar because they're focusing on on just one one type of work. Um, but I think I kind of found it more fun doing the the variety of stuff. And I think later on in my time at Sony, when I was doing art direct stuff and a lot of I did a lot of previs work as well, which uh, which I found quite exciting. Which is almost um, previs stuff is almost like three D animating concept art so it's basically like the really big expensive sequences you see in games like big introductions or big cutscenes previs is um it's basically like when there's a blank page it's starting off with some blocks and some simple shapes and flying around and building cities and and building up a picture of uh, answering some of the big questions about what what will be in those sequences so that then you know it can be mined down into before people have to produce the all the possibilities are worked out before people have to go and then produce the really expensive artwork so um that was a really free and fun way to work um very quick to iterate on it was yeah quite quite exciting stuff so yeah i really like that side of things as well um mm. and then yeah and then we basically the i guessing towards the end of the gorilla cambridge stuff so we did killzone mercenary on the the vita which was a great game to work on um and I did a lot of stuff with the direction of the UI on on that side of things, and then the the final project we did at Gorilla Cambridge was a PlayStation VR launch title called Rigs, which was kind of like a futuristic um, a sport where you you don your VR helmet and get in you basically get into a kind of uh, sporting athletic mech and go into an arena to do do battle with with other characters, and it was. I'm really proud of that game. Um, just the amount of stuff we were able to you know, pack in there. Um, I think, yeah, it reviewed. Um, yeah, it reviewed pretty well, and it did have a, a good uh, sense of atmosphere. But unfortunately, that was the that was the last title that was that was made there. Um, and so, yeah, lots of fond memories of my time at Sony and Gorilla, and definitely learnt loads from you know the people that we worked with uh, on both sides so yeah it was good and then once it all uh ended we had to work out what we wanted to do next um so yeah it was kind of a choice between at, th at that point i'd been working at sony for over 14 years so quite a long time um and so it was a choice of whether i wanted to go into other you know another large studio you know, continuing after on you know, an art director in a big studio or whether i wanted to um, do something different, and which is what we ended up doing. Mm, mm. And obviously, you've put out that first game this year with uh, with Rookie. Yeah, so it's been an ex obviously a very strange year for everyone. Um, and like, yeah, finishing off the game and launching it in the, this weird year, horrible year, has been um, yeah, it's obviously a whole whole massive mix of emotions. But I think we're very proud that. Um, yeah, we took us three years to make the game, and considering the kind of the size and the scale of the game and, and our tiny team, we're we're pretty pleased we managed to get it out in a timely fashion. And the reviews have been um, been great. I mean, especially when you're a small team, 
get quite close to the the game you're making and you're not you know there's a danger of not being able to see the the wood for the trees um so when it came out and uh was reviewed so well uh yeah it was just a massive relief <laughs> a massive relief um and uh it's and, and basically yeah it came out on steam and gog in in the end of july and then it came out on nintendo switch um Octo- in middle october and um yeah i think it's people on people on both platforms seem to be really enjoying it it seems that people are, are discovering it and rediscovering it the whole time and i think our year was capped off uh by we had a um a very surprising nomination for best debut game at the game awards which was um i mean i wasn't watching the when the nominations were announced because i it wasn't even in my you know in in ballpark that we might be nominated for it so when i uh i've been trying to spend less time on my phone so my phone was in the other room and then um i was literally ordering um my wife was complaining that how my slippers were so shabby and so i basically went to get my phone to order a new pair of slippers and that's when i found out um that we had the um the nomination which was uh yeah so that's been that was been that's been really awesome it was definitely has been the um the icing on the cake to get that that recognition and we didn't win but uh, to us the nom- nomination was like win enough for, for me and the whole team so yeah it was just great it, it, it gives encouragement for you know like it, it, it sort of blow um what would, be, what would be the best analogy to use it, it puts the wind amongst your sails for down the line yeah i think it basically i guess on an international stage it kind of like it uh I mean, people have been playing the game all around the world already, but it definitely gives a certain seal of approval. It's like, hey, you're doing something right. <laughs> and, you know, um, and taking the confidence from that uh, in kind of evolving what we're doing and moving it forward to the next project. Yeah, definitely. It, it gives us it gives us uh, some momentum and a really nice uh, direction of travel. And also just nice that it wasn't, you know, it wasn't expected and it was a really nice... Um, nice surprise that to be even you know to be even in consideration was amazing so yeah we take a lot of strength from that moving forward um it would be rem- uh remiss of me if i was said and ask um obviously rookie is out now on pc and nintendo switch but it'd be very remiss of me if i didn't ask um what about playstation and xbox in 2021 uh so we have no we have uh well uh, we would love that too we would love that too um, and we'll just have to see what next year brings. Is my very diplomatic answer. But I think that I, I'm big fans of both of the platforms. So we thought Nintendo Switch was the best, the first, the best, yeah, you know, best place to bring it first. Uh, I play, mm. I play a lot of my games on on Switch. But obviously, I have a long history of uh, of playing games on Sony as well. So yeah, I think we'd love it um, to come to more platforms. And we've got we've received lots of messages um asking about it um but yeah at the, at the moment we'll you know we'll see what happens uh next year uh, and yeah, my kind of personal attention at the moment is on uh yeah exploring ideas for our, for the next you know the next game and the next uh the, you know the next title so Let's discuss your favorite game. Let's talk of your favorite game, uh, The Secret of Monkey Island. This is the first time we've had a Monkey Island game on uh, since the pilot episode back in 2014. We had The Curse of Monkey Island on. 
um, back then. Now we have the secret of Monkey Island. So, um, yes, it's sort of a full circle thing, especially after being gone for basically five years at this point. Um, uh, but yeah, um, before we delve in properly into um, secret, um, did you play um, any other LucasArts games uh, before and after uh, Secret or Monkey Island? Like, yeah. Like, so, th- um, so um, it's probably worth noting that we have uh, had a few LucasArts mentions in uh, this season so far as of recording. And we actually have another LucasArts episode coming up in the form of um, from... So... Uh yeah, like uh, it's 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 it feels like season five is basically going to be a Lucas Art season. Huh. In a way. Well, it's not surprising in some ways. I think they are as a kind of collection of games and like kind of they're guess, guessing they're a period of time now that the people who played them growing up and have very fond memories of them are now you know mm-hmm. the the people who are kind of making making their own stuff. Um, but yeah, I think the it's a really I can't really think of any other company that's managed to do that where it's because they're all quite varied in terms of like tone and setting and you know like the dig is quite a serious you know a serious LucasArts uh, game but there's definitely something for me they were the first set of games that really made me aware of the power of storytelling in games I guess the first real example of for me like that I hit a visual storytelling in games I've played text adventures and stuff before you, you know you you definitely had a narrative there, but um, it's kind of it might be strange for viewers now, you know, looking back at the looking at those games. You know, if you were born, if you were slightly greener, uh, younger, you might um, look. It might seem weird to look at that game and go, "Wow!" At the time, I was blown away by how cinematic it was um, in terms of its 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 uh, you know its presentation and how good it looked. Um, yeah, it definitely made a really a really huge impact and yeah and just a really just a really great that just a really great era of them it was a real mark of quality you knew that not only were you going to get a really great quality game that was really well balanced you know you knew it was going to really entertain you but also provide something new and unexpected and, and different so yeah i'm not surprised that a lot of people would would um you know cite them as their favorites um I guess uh, if I if I had to reword it rather than other LucasArts games, I mean other LucasArts adventure games like um, Monkey Island, Dave's Tentacle, Full Throttle, etc. Because I just realized, because uh, like you said, you mentioned the dig, and that was, and I was more re- re- um, referencing sort of how that that was sort of like that that period of those games coming out, especially from the team behind them, like Gilbert, Schaefer, Grossman, like, it felt like it was a sort of um, golden age for adventure games at that time, anyway. I certainly a golden period, anyway. Yeah, and I think the the one, so I kind of started off with, with Secret of Monkey Island, but then I think we kind of explored around that, and I actually, the poster that I have above my work desk is um, signed by David Fox, and it's a Zach McCracken poster, and that was one I... I think there was a great sense of freedom in that game, how you could basically get on a plane and fly all around the world. And I remember as a kid, there was um, there was something. Basically, when you fly a plane, you can there's a, a puzzle you have to solve or some items you have to collect in in the plane itself. And um, uh, and the base is a great bit where you can put an egg in the microwave in the plane. And there's a thing where the air hostess will kind of walk backwards and forwards and if you time it right you can basically microwave this this egg and it makes a horrible mess and i remember as a kid being finding it so 
funny. I didn't really work out that it was part of a, a bigger thing, but that was definitely one the kind of sense of freedom and you know of, uh, being very non-linear. You could go and explore these these different places uh, was great. And I think the reason why uh, I wouldn't say my parents were like massively strict, but I think my dad spe uh, especially didn't want us playing any violent games. I remember having a conversation where I was trying to persuade him to let me buy Narc, which was a, a kind of an arcade shoot 'em up about narcotics cops, I think. And I was trying to explain mm. how well, you're the you know, you're the narcotics cops though. You're you're getting rid of the drugs, but he wasn't having any of it. <laughs> so uh, but games like this which were uh non violent and made you think and told you stories, especially when there was kind of a slight kind of history angle to it. He was like more than happy for us to kind of uh to sink hours and hours into. Um but yeah, no, there's written like I think the last one, I guess, one was Grim Fandango, and I remember playing that. I think it was at university. Obviously, that was in 3D, um, and things had evolved a little bit. Um, but yeah, definitely, um, yeah. The, I think the kind of the Monkey Island ones were the ones that um, that stuck with me. Uh, that stuck with me the most. I think. I think it's worth discussing. I think the secret of Monkey Island sort of came about as a sort of frustration between um Ron Gilbert and uh Tim Schafer and, and Grossman, um or rather their sort of Gilbert Schaefer and Grossman's frustrations with contemporary adventure games at that time. Like before Monkey Island, can you envision sort of what would make them sort of um delve into Monkey Island as sort of their take of saying this is this is what we see the adventure genre like what we're not we're sort of frustrated with what the genre is right now this is sort of our take on it i guess the question i'm trying to get to is sort of like what other adventure games at that time were sort of you know sort of the forebearers that you think sort of maybe influenced secret of monkey island so i think in terms of the kind of playability so the sierra games and king quest games those are the series of games i think um i don't know if there was a there if there if the, the kind of lucasart stuff was a direct response to them but i think obviously they're they were aware of them and i think the the uh the those the king's quest games especially the early ones i think were kind of maligned for the sudden deaths where you would suddenly die the game would be over and you had to restart or load a save point and sometimes they could be quite obtuse so you would you know you would have no way of knowing you you might meet your peril unless you actually tried it. Um, so I think the kind of the kind of rules. I mean, I just watched. Um, I think it's the twenty fifth or thirtieth anniversary of the Secret of Monkey Island. So there's been a few live live streams, and there was a charity one that I was fortunate enough to to watch. And I know that one of the things they wanted to do was have have like you know, there's no way to die in in mm. in in the games. So there's kind of no no fail state, which I think automatically makes them much more pleasurable experiences because i think if you're playing a game and you're having to like save constantly in case something random happens and you get thrown down a pit then it kind of takes you out the immersion of the story a little bit you know with a game where you know there's no death that you can just relax and enjoy it and, and really get absorbed by the um by the story i think also they did a good job of and this is kind of something we try to do on on rookie i mean i think uh, secret monkey Island has it a little bit but generally like puzzles mostly make sense like you, you don't have to there's probably a few logic jumps but um like the the um i'm guessing the the, the rubber chicken and the red herring there's, there's certain logic jumps but generally 
um, yeah, you can kind of. There's nothing that's like will make you hit a a, a brick wall quite quite so much. Um, mm. But yeah, I think mostly there's the the usability things. I think there's even an, an Easter egg in the end of the Secret of Monkey Island where you can when you're actually at Monkey Island where you can walk off the side of a rock and it kind of um, it pops up a Sierra style you have died before um, Guybrush kind of gets pinged back up onto the rock uh, mm. but yeah no, so I think there's definitely is a, a kind of user user experience playability um, I guess just qual- quality of quality of experience that the um, the LucasArts stuff has I mean I guess the other ones that I played outside of that which i did really enjoy was the broken sword series um by revolution software so that was like george stobart and again the first uh yeah and i'd like really awesome art and music and voice acting and the uh and it was kind of cool and i think that's the power of those games that like yeah you can be deep in the caribbean in one game or you can be in the land of the dead with grim fandango or you can be in like paris and exploring the lost history of the Templars with Broken Sword. I think the the variety of of setting and stories in those you know in adventure games is just a you know it's a really great a great bed for telling different types of stories and that's, and that's definitely one of the unique strengths of the genre. It's funny that you mentioned sort of Broken Sword as well. Um, it'd be rem- uh, somewhat uh, somewhat remiss of me as well if I didn't ask about if you sort of looked at um beneath a steel sky as well so i played it i played the demo of it when we were demoing rookie at um uh, egx i popped no in. that's be, that's beyond the steel oh, sky no sorry ah uh, okay no yeah i haven't played that one i think and the, the one i remember playing is which was a revolution one was law of the temptress which i remember mm. playing i remember playing that one um and i also played which was the other one simon the sorcerer but i think they're some of them I, some of the games that i've uh I've returned to other ones have kind of been lost in my addling 40 year old brain I haven't retouched so um yeah and I think there's definitely been a few that I want to go back actually that's the one one of the nice things about Steam and be able to pick up like old some older games like we've been gone I've gone back and played I never played the dig at the time and I've gone back and played the the dig now which has been um which has been good so it's definitely nice to go back and and revisit some of those things as well as some of the games that are kind of um working in that in that space now i think one of my um one of my favorite kind of of the new wave i guess you call it of point and click adventures is dark side detective um mm. which is a kind of modernizes the genre in like a number of of really interesting ways it kind of re- retains the pixel art that's a great sense of humor it's kind of episodic structure so um uh yeah but i think it's difficult i think when when you when you're making a game in a certain attempt to kind of play games of all genres i think um I think there's a danger if i remember i can't remember who, who it was it's some kind of fancy author that said if you you know if you you want to write a fancy novel and you're you know you just you're consuming a diet of fancy novels then the fancy novel you write will probably end up being a little bit you know generic and derivative so it's um I t- tend to try and you know play all different types of uh of games as well um mm. obviously yeah point and click will always have a a special place um worth noting dark side detective uh made by the irish based spooky doorway for yeah listening no yeah really friendly really friendly team as well um 
as well as um, sort of Dark Side Detective, um, is there any other games in modern times that sort of made you sort of, uh, in terms of um, you know point and click that have sort of um, uh, made made you think, oh wow, this looks this looks really interesting. This is really good to play, or or something down the line that is really interesting. Like um, it's worth noting that we are. Rec- I'm, I'm mentioning this for context. It's worth noting that we are recording this the week before Christmas. And oh. um, we've just wrapped up for the year on Play Diaries, and the last news story I wrote was on Outsider Games' Jennifer Wilde. Uh, very, very interesting, mystery-driven um, point-and-click uh, effort. Um, Stephen Downey, please send me your check to Derry. Um, in all seriousness, um, is there anything sort of in recent times that is sort of, uh, or even upcoming that sort of piques your interest in terms of what point-and-click uh, and the adventure genre could be. I think there's a game. There's a game called uh, Gibbous, which is re- I think it's came out on Switch recently. So I guess there's yeah a couple of really gorgeous looking um, point and click games. There's one called Gibbous and one called uh, Luna. Um, and I think what's it called? It's got a subtitle. I think it's Luna and the the Shadow Dust. I think. And uh, both uh, like a really amazing art and really super super polished and great great experiences there are a couple of games that are out now that are really good examples of you know modern takes on 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 that um i think the one that kind of really made me go when we when i was looking at kind of what uh what genre of game i wanted to make and like whether it, there's the possibility of modernizing certain things i think kentucky route zero was one that really made me sit up it was like it felt really um but really atmospheric, you know, I was speaking earlier about sense of place and, and atmosphere and transporting you somewhere in games. And Kentucky Route Zero, um, yeah, really definitely did that. And yeah, so there there's some uh some good examples. The um what's the the one I've been playing recently, it's no well, it's not a um a point and click game, but it's definitely is a a narrative game is Paradise Killer. And that's uh again one that um just really, I, mean, I, I keep me in to play that because so many people say it's so good. Yeah, and it's kind of, it's, it just allows you lots of freedom. And again, it's, you're just kind of you're going around this island, and I think the setting is really intriguing. And I won't say too much about it because I'll spoil it for you. But it's the the kind of the the setting and the place you're exploring is is really intriguing. The fact that you can just there's a great sense of freedom, and you're you're building up the the picture of what's what's happened. So yeah, the, the music's music's great. So um. Yeah, so that's really they're they're kind of like some really um, yeah good recent examples. I think the one I think this is like a while ago. I mean, one of the things we tried to do uh, with Rookie, I guess, is the uh, in terms of like connection to characters and that kind of thing. I think one of the things that point and click games, or at least you know, a lot of them did. There was the they were they had a reputation for being quite comical and quite slapstick, mm-hmm. whereas you can tell some more. Yeah, you know, uh, you know, also like it hit heart string pull the heartstrings with with them i think the not a point of click game but i think the game i remember playing where i was like wow this is really powerful was ico and um and that was because it's this game without it's, it's a game that tells a story a really powerful story where you're very invested in the characters and what happens to them it's also a game without any dialogue um mm. and it's and it's also a game that does obviously it has cutscenes, but it does you're forming this emotional bond with the, you know, the player. The um, I think she's called Yorda, and the 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 boy with the horns. You, you're mm. forming this 
emotional connection with them via gameplay by you know him rescuing her and then helping each other and i think that's when a narrative in games can be at its strongest when it's not you know a didactic cutscene of like someone telling you know relaying facts or exposition it's you know there's there's no actual dialogue there and you know there's it's you're building up this bond through the the gameplay and if people haven't played it it basically is a game where you're this you wake up as uh, I think you've almost it's very ambiguous but I think you've basically been sent to this ruins almost like as a sacrifice and you're a little boy with with horns and then there's this kind of um, this this princess locked up in a uh, almost like a, a gibbet birdcage that you have to then you know rescue and, and try and escort out of this big castle when these shadowy creatures keep on trying to drag her into pools of, of darkness and it's about trying to get out of there together um and it's just one of the things where that for me really cemented the the power of the unique power that video games have to tell interactive stories um yeah so that's one that um i really yeah I, that that's the one i go like please remaster that one because there was the remaster of shadow of the colossus which um was great and has like uh you know similarly powerful uh story but i would love like a remaster of of Ico, that would be, that would make my Christmas. <laughs> nah, no remaster, proper remake by well, Bluepoint, like they like they did with Shadow of the Colossus and Demon Souls for PS Five. That would be brilliant. I'd love that. Um, and just to t- uh, stay on that sort of topic, like another game that sort of stays true to what you just said, and and is very similar to Ico is actually another Ueda game, The Last Guardian. Yeah, I think that's and again, like the so that is one at the end of it. If you're not if you're not like sobbing all over your controller by the end of that one, then it's like, well, what's what's happening? It's really. Uh, I was, I was. Yeah. <laughs> no, it's really, really in impactful, and I think the nice thing there as well is that the the creature, um, like Trico, he has, uh, he has a real personality. He has a sense of like I think some people were complaining that he's not that responsive. But then actually, you know, it is he is an animal. He's not like just a, a machine. And so actually, sometimes he's, he's slightly bumbling or doesn't quite get what you want him to do straight away. Kind of adds to the the feeling that he is a you know, a living uh, creature um, or they, I should say. The um, yeah, so that was that was uh, great. I'm kind of really fascinated by that universe, whether they're kind of all meant to be uh, connected or 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 not. So obviously, stylistically, they they are, but. Um, yeah, there's. I'm really interested to see what they they um, they do next. Really great set of games. Really great set of games. I think those are the most co- free cohesive games to ever come from a single team. Uh, from not just within Japan Studio, but from Sony. Like like, I like as a through line anyway. It's just. Yeah, no, no, totally, totally, and I think they they they. they they're really nice because they're almost like a less is more um, technique of storytelling where they imply your mind races, right? Because they're basically saying, you're here. We're not going to tell you really why you're here. It's kind of a bit weird. You've got to kind of piece it together or you project yourself what is happening or you're projecting this wider world of how you're imagining it. And that sense of the unknown. Uh, so, so, right, okay, I'm going to go off on a Dark Souls Dark Souls fanboy rant now, but the the same with like Dark Souls and Bloodborne, being placed in somewhere where you don't know what's going on and there's a huge world to explore and you're gradually 
it's like archaeological storytelling where you're uncovering bits of information you're gradually piecing together um your you know the vision and the understanding of the world that that kind of type of storytelling in games i find really uh powerful because it's the players are the players are like an active agent in the story they're almost playing detective going and uncovering the story as they're going rather than sitting you down and forcing you to watch a kind of 10 minute long cut scene that people just really want to, to skip having the having you the player you know, being the active thing that's uncovering the story uh, is really really powerful and that's that's the type of storytelling games i like to play um just to sort of rewind back uh on the monkey island and just sort of something that um you mentioned you mentioned how sort of the the Sierra online game sort of uh, had an influence in terms of wanting to make something different in the adventure genre. I'm just reading it up here, and like it basically says that the 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 primary goal of Dave Grossman, Tim Schafer, Ron Gilbert, their aim was to sort of make a more accessible gameplay model within adventure games than those presented, not just in Sierra online games, because um, Gilbert was definitely frustrated by by what Sierra was putting out at the time but it was also by um previous games made by by Lucasfilm yes i think well one of the big i think one of the big advancements they did is they got rid of the text parser which was basically when you actually had to type even on like i think it was the early king's quest ones which i didn't play seeing about it since is that you still have to type in instructions to the character like open door or look out of window that type of thing Whereas uh, I think LucasArts, I think it was Maniac Mansion was the first one where they introduced the verb system where, you know, you'll see the iconic screen with like look at, you know, and the, the verbs on the bottom of the screen. So, so it kind of like got rid of you actually having to type in stuff. Obviously in the later LucasArts games, even though, you know, they got that verb system then got superseded as well. And it was more kind of context-based interactions. Um, so yeah, they, there's, um, yeah, as well as the death the death stuff there was there was always there was also you know, the streamlining of the user input and making the games feel more immediate immediate to play and i'm guessing you know didn't get bogged down in having to type things and the trial of error of spelling things wrong or um or yeah it's made it easier to do i mean i think there's still um there's still, obviously still uh frustrations there i think it's interesting i remember playing them as a kid where i had like so much time in my hands if I actually got stuck on something, it wasn't a, a big deal. I think now people are so much uh, like time poorer. <laughs> yeah, they, they basically people don't have as much time. Everyone's more more busy with all the different things and different things vying for their attention. I think there's probably probably a reason why some of those those games, uh, yeah, those older games when you play them now, could be a little bit frustrating for some people. But then I thought Thimbleweed Park, which was probably i don't know four or five years ago now which is by wrong there's a new game by in by um a uh, wrong gilbert, wrong gilbert yeah. david fox is the um is that is just brilliant i think they did a really great job of uh of keeping everything that was really good and, and memorable about the games they made but kind of make it a more a more friendly user experience so yeah we love that one you mentioned it for dark souls really but i sort of want to bend this into sort of how it applies for monkey island and the fact that you mentioned sort of how the player takes this active role as an as 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 an active detective, even like you, uh, you mentioned that for Dark Souls, but like, how do you think that sort of fits into something like um, Monkey Island? Well, I think in some ways, like the the start of it is 
like Monkey Island has no setup at the start. The setup it, ha is it, ha it has is deep in the Caribbean, dot, 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 and then you're off. Um, so, you know, it, you're you're there. Um, I think that's one of the, the strokes of genius about the Guybrush character is that he's very much wet behind the ears and he's like, he's coming, he's a wannabe pirate. He's not a pirate. He's not seasoned. He's, you know, he doesn't really know what he's doing. And so you're kind of in the same boat with him. So I think there's a certain connection you'll you'll get there. But it's yeah, I think there's um, and then you you yeah, the more you, as you go around the world, you're you're piecing together, you know what's um, what's going on. I think in that the opening section, the Mele, Malay Island section of um of Monkey Island has an amazing sense of place. I think talking to loads of people look like that's the. If I was going to go on holiday somewhere in a game, that's the place you'd, you'd want to visit. So it's the fact that it's always night time, it never changes. Um, and uh, yeah, it's just a really got a great sense of, of of depth to it. And it, yeah, and I think the, probably the music adds to that, that stuff as well. But it's yeah, a really nice sense of freedom. And obviously, it's sort of a lot of it's non linear and different routes around around uh, around places. So yeah, and it's. Um, yeah, definitely is a, a strong uh, like storytelling aspect. Just like going around, talking to people, getting you get some information. You're gradually being, building up a bigger picture of uh, of what's going on. But it's also just like I think it has a really, in terms of like making, it's got a great sense of clarity about what you, the player, is meant to be doing. So basically, you'll, at the start, you'll have a chat with this old guy who's at the kind of the lookout fire, and then you go into you basically the first one of the first things you can do is go into town. And you get you go to the the scum bar where they're serving the grog and you almost get briefed like what you have to do to become a pirate and the three tasks that you have to do um and so there's really always a great sense of clarity of like you know what your goal is as the player i think there's a really since we come we get to like make our own ad adventure game albeit the kind of modern 3d one um looking back at some of the other techniques they use to try and make sure that the you know the player needs to have most of the time like multiple threads of inquiry because if you just have one you, and if you get stuck on it then you know, you're kind of stuck properly whereas if you have you know, multiple threads or storylines you can explore then if you if you hit a wall with one you can go and tackle some of the others and whilst you're doing that your brain may unpick the solution to the you know to the one you were you were halted at so and then bringing you know, for, for you know having those different threads but then like you know collapsing them back together um which i think is one of the things that really creates that sense of freedom but then on the flip side if you have too many like uh things you can do it becomes a bit overwhelming and you can become a bit lost there's a really great balancing act with it absolutely nail with um yeah with uh, the secret of monkey island um yeah i think in terms of it's like a pirate uh caribbean setting i think a lot of the thing is that it's the the, the characters are um i'm guessing it, it's aged very well when you look at the kind of you go back and you look at the, the characters and the fact that that guy is the the hero that you yeah, the hero in kind of i'm doing my quote fingers here which you can't see but the um the hero um he's just a bit useless and the fact that the real hero is a elaine who's like the the mayor of the town um and so yeah it's actually it's got some nice kind of i guess it kind of plays against uh some tropes and uh and yeah it's got some really really like just some really awesome characters and, and lots of surprises and unexpected things. Like it constantly delights. There's one very memorable thing when you're um, 
you're, tr you're getting trained by the trained by this uh, sword guy to you know to teach you how to how to to fence and and duel, and he kind of brings out this machine <laughs> to train you, and it's basically just be like a little contraption being driven by a little a little monkey, um, and it's it's uh, yeah, it's just really really delights all the time. I think the guessing the real standout thing that probably the thing that sticks in a lot of people people's mind about that opening section on on uh on melee island is that it probably has like one of it has probably the best dialogue puzzle ever seen in a game <laughs> um which is the the kind of the sword fighting so for those who don't know i don't think it's really a spoiler but the um uh there's a bit where you have to basically uh go around the island and it's like a, a kind of more of a bird's eye map view and you're going around the island and then you're challenging these pirates that are roaming around the little roads and lanes to, to jewels but none of it is done with actual sword fighting i think the indiana jones and the last crusade lucasarts game actually has like fisticuffs which i always remember being rubbish at and getting my bottom handed to me um, whereas like the um the monkey island one was great because it was all based around insults so you kind of have to you just basically insult people and then if your insult was good enough you would then win that step of the sword match and then it could be back and forth as you as you slag each other off um, it's, it's it's basically like that moment and i don't i don't know which exact movie it, uh movie it is but basically you have the guy with the sword waving about his swords and then indiana just just looks sort of nonplussed aims his gun shoots him and just walks off something like that <laughs> yeah uh, it's um yeah that's it it's a really it's just really a really smart thing to do and i think that it's um not only is it there's an element of learning because at the start off with you don't have all the different the different insults you have to kind of almost like build up an insult vocabulary um but it's just like really memorable because it's so much fun it's kind of delightful and also yeah really playful and unexpected and uh yeah i think that's something that still really sticks in everyone's um uh in everyone in everyone's brain so uh yeah that that kind of um the I kind of i think the first section is the bit the bit on Melian is the bit that really sticks with me and i think there's um we have a uh i'm sure people must notice but there's like we have like a homage there's a bit where you get kind of lost in the forest where you're trying to uh i think you're find trying to find uh like some treasure i think and um and in the end you have to kind of i think if you follow the, the shopkeeper but there's a basic forest with where whichever path you go down it always kind of like spits you back out and so we, we'd kind of have a uh, section which is a bit of a homage to that in um in rookie and i think there, there's also a kind of homage to that in thimbleweed park as well um but yeah they're really um yeah it's really it's a really really impressive game and you could tell like it's interesting and you look at you delve into how it was made afterwards and obviously they're working at uh, lucas arts on the lucas and the skywalker ranch which I, I didn't actually realize they were actually there and it sounds like they were just given a lot of freedom and they kind of you know it it definitely comes across as um is a kind of creative endeavor that's not been interfered with too much it just feels really really joyful as people in there who've been sure working very very hard on it but it just feels like a real a kind of expression of of them and their view on the world and and their personalities yeah so it feels really really pure in that way you mentioned how a lot of the game still holds up after like how long has it been now it's basically been uh how long has it been since it came out so, 30 years as of october like since it came out um and you say a lot of it has held up and that includes the writing like 
how much of that writing just makes it makes Secret of Monkey Island feel so timeless? Because a lot of the charm that makes LucasArts adventure games anyway, certainly, you know, with the likes of Monkey Island and Day of the Tentacle and, you know, Grim Fandango, a lot of the charm behind that is the writing. Yeah. Um, yeah, I think it's a, a big part of it. And I think, I'm guessing there's like the there's the writing of the individual dialogue lines, I guess, but there's kind of also like the writing of the scenarios, which is kind of the you know and the kind of things that you're uh, that you're doing. But yeah, I think it's um it's really yeah it's it's really strong, and that stuff is really timeless. And you'll still like laugh playing it now. Uh, but there, it's not like um uh, I'm just gonna think it's I guess it's just the sense of humor, and I guess humor in games is really really hard to get right. And um and yeah, they just They've done it, but nothing is. I don't even. I don't even know if they had any rules like about you know not making any cultural references or stuff that go out of date. But they have seemed to like age really remark, almost like unnaturally well. <laughs> so um, yeah, they just did a really, uh, a, a really awesome job. And I think also for me, just from an animation point of view, like it was kind of nice how uh, like when they did have animation stuff, it, that, you know, they would really catch your attention. But then a lot of the time stuff would be underplayed and it also made almost made it feel more comical the fact that sometimes maybe they were, you know they were limited on a technical point of view but um like some of the character performance was quite underplayed so actually it's kind of fun that you know elaine uh the governor is just like constantly unimpressed <laughs> and like and quite uh terse which is quite nice but then the one character i do remember and being like wow is a stat they've stan who's the second hand like ship salesman and he has like really every time he speaks his hand is like an incredible like gesticulation gesticulation animation with his hands that just really kind of pops and tells you so much about who he is and what yeah what he's about that um yeah it's great and they've got really yeah all the characters are really uh really just feel really like well formed and and complement each other well and i think i think the version i played was the version where they had all the kind of I guess I think they're only for the Amiga version they basically redone the character portraits the kind of full screen ones so they looked like super uh, and I remember seeing those and being like wow and I think that's the one the kind of a really great sleight of hand from like the art point of view is that even though the graphics would be quite low res and, and pixelated the fact that it showed you this big detailed portrait of the character meant that then in your brain you kind of knew then it allows you to project onto those pixels much more when you when you saw them. So it almost like upgraded the graphics for the whole game, but in your head. You mentioned how you sort of achieving humor in games is very hard, and like um, there are very few games to sort of do that very well. But obviously, they're few and far between. Like, what do you think is the secret to sort of getting humor right in games? At least from your interpretation, anyway. Uh, I think it's really difficult. I think I would. Uh, I think it'd be really. I think there's a, a lot of. You'd almost like writing a, a kind of. Uh, if you're a comedian writing a set, right, that goes through so much iteration. Um, like if we went to the Fringe one year to see, um, uh, like to watch the the Fringe Festival, and there was like some. You can get some cheap tickets like early in the morning, which was comedians practicing their show for next year. So basically, yeah, obviously when like a comedian goes out and does stand-up, it's not, they're not doing it off the cuff. It's a really manicured, well-tested and iterated on act that's been probably distilled over years and years and years. 
And I think it's probably the same with a game like I suspect I'm not as naturally uh, funny as some of these as, as some of those those creators. So it's like I think obviously they're after a much better start anyway. But I, yeah, I don't know. It's it's really difficult, and it's hard to know whether how much of how much of it was intentional, whether they you know tried to tried to avoid too much kind of cultural reference points for the day that would age badly, or um, I guess one of the reasons why that those games like the humor in those games has aged quite well. It's it's, it's all quite good natured yeah so actually that stuff is actually still nice and wholesome um to watch um you know to 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 play through now so uh but yeah i think making like a a comedy game now oh i think it's really really um really tricky not something i I, definitely something i'm not brave enough to do something that you actually mentioned uh in part there uh, a few minutes ago was the sort of exploration side of it not necessarily in terms of you know exploring the location or and all that there but i think it's just sort of interesting that you sort of mentioned that the exploration uh, the, uh in terms of secret monkey island like delve into that a little bit if you can uh sure i'm guessing like yeah you kind of just have, have paths you go on but it was always like um as you unlock bits of the game world it almost feels like treat like when you get to a new screen it's like wow let's explore this bit there's definitely a, a sense um a sense of excitement there um and i think also in terms of like the visual storytelling they do a great job of of, of setting up those locations so they feel really really grand and also connected because essentially like it's it's you know the game is a set of uh of scrolling screens but they uh it's kind of so well designed and realized that they all slot in together so basically in your head you can build up an idea of of this island and it feels like it all relates to each other so you can you you have the the hillside with the lookout which you then go down into the kind of the harbor area with the the uh the the scum bar and um and then you get into the the town and you can just you just build up an idea of how these things are connected together even though it's just a different set of screens it's kind of like feels like it's solidified with the with the kind of bird's eye map when you're a tiny dot like going around and, and challenging pirates to jewels but they yeah it just kind of builds up this this picture of a place and then it also kind of subverts some of that stuff it's got some really economical things so there's one bit where you get um i think it's you get tied to an uh this is a spoiler obviously so please uh mute if you're if you haven't played it yet but there's a bit where you get uh thrown into the harbor with um with like a the idol a heavy idol tied around your leg and um and it's just nice because basically you're looking at somewhere you've walked across loads and loads of times in the game but obviously now you're looking at it at a, from a completely different angle which is always quite fun and it's got a great uh i think one of my favorite cutscenes in a game ever because i'm not really a big fan of cutscenes in games probably a because i've worked on quite a lot of them <laughs> in my time at sony i know like how much work goes into them and how unfortunately most people want to just skip them um but one of my favorites was there's a scene where you you you've kind of drugged elaine's like poodles attack poodles that are guarding her mansion and you you're going in to try and uh it's one of the trial the trials to a pirate you go in to try and get i think it's the an idol or something out and it has this big almost like big rolling fight between you and the the sheriff who kind of catches you in the act there's this big rolling fight it all happens off screen and so you're hearing like you're seeing like camera shakes and the dialogue and there's all these outlandish things happening like um 
the one putting fake lips on a, a kind of taxidermied moose or um, but then you know a character will roll into shot and almost like steal themselves for the battle and then plunge back through the doorway but this entire kind of elaborate sequence happens off screen and it's you build, build up with all the the kind of prompt stuff you're seeing happening you build up the this idea of like this really really elaborate fight sequence that happens that's made very cheaply but it's all the more powerful because you're kind of orchestrating it in your head it's interesting that you mentioned that you're not cutscene you're not a big fan of cutscenes I'm guessing you're not a big fan of Kojima games uh, well I, kind of, I think the last one I played so I haven't played Death Stranding yet but I actually really really do I was basically just too busy so that is on definitely on my list it's really of, good it's really uh, good it's, it's a Kojima game for better or worse but it's a good game I really enjoyed it yeah, and I played like a lot of the Metal Gear Solid ones. I think the, um, I think I, I'm guessing five was the last one, which did have like the kind of two-hour cutscene at the start. I think it's like okay, and I think when they're done so well, it's kind of it's it's fine. But I, there is a certain amount with, um, uh, for me personally, that I kind of uh, I like the. I'm guessing I see the the power in games to be in telling stories through through gameplay. So that's the kind of thing that. Um, that interests me the most personally, but obviously, you know, different strokes, different folks. The thing that you mentioned at the start, of, uh, as we started, um, is that you love the sort of strong sense of um, place. Because I'm just reading off my notes here at this point. Um, but like um, you mentioned, how the sort of the sort of strong sense of place that these games sort of give, um, like that's something that you're really into. How, how does Monkey Secret of Monkey Island sort of tie into that? So I'm guessing it, in part of it will be down to like the 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 you know the architecture and the design of the the screens that everything feels quite like tangible and real. That it feels like a place that could exist. It's kind of like drawn well with you know. Um, I guess it's the the craft of it is good, so it looks like it could be a you know could be a place that exists. And I think actually since there's um the famous there's a famous shot of the town which i think if you you can google it and you'll see it's actually a real town i think it's in germany or somewhere but the that they've obviously taken as as reference um and uh but yeah so it's basically laying up of that stuff the the music as well it's like another ingredient which you know obviously sometimes sometimes is can be neglected but is a big part of creating a sense of of place um and of of story um but yeah i think there's a real it does a it does a really good job of making you feel like you're 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 somewhere you're somewhere different. It does it on all on all fronts, like visually, and uh, with the the music as well. Obviously, they're kind of more limited in terms of animation and what they could do in terms of like environment details and stuff like that. You could do now, um, but yeah, still, it's I think it's probably the, one of the most uh, the the opening section like Mary Island is probably one of the most kind of iconic. I mean, obviously, I'm biased, but <laughs> one of the most iconic like video game locations there are, I think. Um, it'd be stupid of me to not ask about considering you being an art director about the art direction of the game. Like, it'd be silly. Like, yeah, like going to that a little bit. So I think the interesting, like looking at it, because obviously they were really had a much more difficult job in some ways than we have now, because they were really pushing like technology. And obviously, the like, stuff was a real, so there's a, a real kind of economy to the art and getting maximum amount of uh, storytelling and information they can relay with the limited resolutions and colours that they're they're working with. And I think they, they were so one of the things that people probably don't realise too much now is actually 
you know, those games were really pushing the boundaries of what you could do like visually and with, with graphics and it's almost like they um yeah they were the kind of uh, i don't know what's a game that's come out recently it's got amazing amazing uh amazing graphics whatever the latest and greatest is they were that um you know they were um when people were remarking about oh look you can see the skin pores on someone's nose that was the equivalent of like monkey islands like sunset or you know the, it's it's graphical detail um yes they were really they were really pushing those those boundaries and like principles of composition of lighting and of uh, you know uh of, of color haven't you know, they're, they're still as, you know, as important now as they as they uh as they were back then and all that stuff you just you know you can you can freeze frame any shot from monkey island uh or you know and it just you know it's like a like a picture it's got great contrast composition silhouettes everything about them really um yeah it still works still holds up it's really and i really hope you know in 30 years time if i look back on a game that i've created and think yeah it still holds up i'll be incredibly happy now that you mentioned that sort of most recent game that everyone's sort of gushing over and sort of graphics i'm just trying to figure out what game that is the only the only game that sort of comes to mind is um spider-man miles morales yeah yeah there was, I think there's like a load of like really um really really super i mean horizon uh obviously i've kind of biased because i've spent time with the gorilla team but like the horizon games i think always look in terms of like, if you were to single out games that really have all the bells and whistles like graphically i think horizon's really um yeah zero dawn and, and i can't remember what the new one's called the one that's on the way um for bed and west yes just look um yeah like embarrassingly spectacular in like every single way so yeah it's um yeah yeah so. that's 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 actually one of the things that i sort of love about horizon like um obviously gorilla like did you know first person shooters from before they even joined sony like with um shellshock vietnam and from Shellshock through to Killzone 1, Killzone 2, Killzone 3, Killzone Shadowfall, and even um, with the PSP game Liberation and um, Mercenary as well. Um, like, they're very, very, very good-looking games, but at the same time, and, like, I, I'm not I'm not saying it's just the, you know, put, uh, sort of shovel dirt on top, but, like, um, they're very sort of grey and drab um, and very dark, mm. but... With Horizon, you know, that, but they're, they're but they're still very good looking games. All the same, very very good looking games. Especially Killzone Two. I remember being very amazed by how incredible that looked the first time we saw gameplay from it, like a few years after that quote unquote controversial demo. Yeah. But like Horizon, what I loved about Horizon, besides you know the fact that they did this amazing story, they managed to transition from shooters to RPGs with little to no fuss and did it very well is the fact is the only non-surprise from that game was the fact that it looked incredible because Gorilla makes incredibly good looking games but the thing is Horizon was so also so much different in terms of its you know sort of art style and design like yes it was realistic but it was a lot 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 more vibrant and colourful and lush and it didn't feel as dark as the Killzone games. Not that that's a bad thing, but I love that. Like it's it showed that Gorilla was transitioning a lot more uh, in terms of just 
genre and storytelling anyway. I, I that was one aspect of uh uh the first horizon anyway that I really, really loved. Yeah, I think there's um obviously there's a huge amount of very talented driven people there and they've been making those kill zone games for a while and they need so there's a chance to do something um like something new and different. Yet I'm really made up for them like how well that is done and how well it's been received and yeah like for me i'm really chuffed because yeah, i look at that world and how bright and colorful and uh, enchanting it is and awe inspiring yeah it's a huge achievement and obviously great testament to them their studio and the the, the leadership and and the all the yeah, everyone there the technicians um that they've managed to do that i mean i wouldn't say like it's clear that a lot of hard work has got has gone into that. So you couldn't say it's like they've done it effort, effortlessly, but the you know, the, but gracefully, I think. Mm, I'd agree with that. And I think on the opposite end of that spectrum, and I mean that in a good way, is a game that has an incredible art style, art design as well, but it's very cold and sort of mysterious and scary. But it's not on the surface a horror game, even though I think it is. And the game I'm actually referring to here is Control. And mm. that game is incredibly graphically, but I also think it does that sort of cold and drab art style very well because it fits into the story. So I. <coughs> excuse me. I guess what I'm sort of trying to get at, in terms of sort of phrasing this into a question, is just. How do you sort of adapt an art design? How do you sort of direct, um, sort of provide art direction for a game that blends in well with the narrative, the story, the world building of, say, you know, let's say for example, like today's uh, today's games, like Horizon, like Control, but like let's if we can, like also sort of, sort of translate that as well they sort of monkey island as well because obviously sort of bringing these sort of aspects together as one unit is is significant in terms of making the game cohesive whole and sort of worthwhile yes i think the guessing art direction when it when it works best is is pulling it in the same direction as the as the story and there's basically if the story has a certain uh, tone the art direction should um, reflect that. It's obviously Killzone's got quite a kind of um, monochrome, some almost monochrome like art style. Um, but obviously the subject matter is is pretty bleak as well. So those two reinforce each other. Horizon on the flip side, you know, is it obviously is much more colourful. It's about I guess it's about exploration and like new beginnings and um, yes, yeah, so those kind of things reflect. Each other. I haven't played Control. I'm guessing one of the things that I find um, so yeah, I'm guessing with the, the it's different now, I guess, with the kind of the technology that is there now. There is much more of a choice, an artistic choice in art style. Whereas, like previously, when you know, dial back thirty years, it's much, it's much more of like how you know how good can we actually make it look with the constraints of the technology? Because now, obviously, you can make uh, yeah, jet set radio, a flat shaded game that's really like graphical and um, got lots of strong shapes or you know you can really try and push the the realism of of something or like hyper realism so i think it's a slightly different challenge these days because there's much more opportunity in terms of like 
what choice of direction you take for a game whereas i think like dial back 30 years uh, obviously still really really well crafted but i guess in the 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 um the level of artistic choice they had in defining the art style was reduced because like well you know, how can we actually make a you know relay this information or make something that looks like this um but yeah i think there's uh, i think there's still a like interesting like fact about the secret of monkey island which is kind of fun is that so one of the things that's really important in games and art direction is consistency of style so again we're talking about this sense of place like making sure that everything feels like it's part of the same world um and so yeah with like big budget games they'll have like you know, when assets are outsourced you'll have like like managers or art directors whose job it is to make sure that everything that's coming back fits in the art style of the world and feels cohesive so it's not like i've got a chair from one universe and a table from another and they look really odd next to each other they all have to feel like part of the, the same world and i think one of the interesting things they did on the secret of monkey island is that they realized that you know the artists by you know they had different painting styles and so that you could you know it was um it would get it would be a bit concerted effort to basically have them both working in like um you know they're slightly different styles in you know when they're creating one location or one island so they decided to um you know decide to like just sidestep it which is a really strong choice they actually they, they assigned you know, particular artists to locations and they would you know, rather than just like dividing up the screens equally they go right this is your location you're in charge of this this is your location you're in charge of this and so therefore it didn't matter that there was a slight difference in style because that you know you departed that location for from somewhere new so you'd expect it to look a bit uh, differently anyway so i think in some ways in going back retrospectively and looking at some of the working techniques that people have used uh, it's really interesting to see some of that stuff because it's a really strong decision that's made the game and its art style feel more um uh, cohesive but it's actually you know it's quite a, a a nice simple solution and those decisions and those choices are often the best what well, say in terms of recent games anyways like what recent games do you think have done art direction very well obviously horizon but like what else um i'm trying to think uh yeah i mean i kind of like games that have got a real um economy of art style so the one so uh, so the game i'm playing right now is called unto the end and it's a uh like a no dialogue um kind of, i guess like a, a kind of exploration and, and combat game like side on 2d um like flat shaded and that's um it gets a great sense of scale and it's finding it really um really thrilling and gripping to play i feel like constantly on edge there's there's like you you go into very tight cave like structures and uh you have a like a, a torch and you can die a lot um uh, but it's just feel like a really uh a really a really great art direction what else do you like about the secret of monkey islands that we've not quite discussed uh let me think uh well i think we've talked about the the kind of music and the um which i think is a i mean it's got such strong music i think it's really um that really adds a lot and i think in some ways they're the ones you know with the, the games that it's kind of underestimated sometimes how much of a storytelling element the music the music um can be i think we've probably covered like most of the of the of the bits really i'm guessing like 
to be able to show that you can have a really entertaining adventure but it can be you know, non-violent with no no time pressure i think there's um yeah it's, i think the just those games are the ones we'd get really really excited about and um just love also like i'm a bit of a nerd when it comes to like boxes and packaging and so like they're like the 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 box art like the box i mean i wish i'd kept our box like um if i could go in a time machine and like kick myself in the shins and go don't you know don't let anyone get rid of that i think that those those big those big boxes for the, the original games were really um yeah really really spectacular and actually as like a a grown-up or as like a developer like especially with all this anniversary stuff that's happening being able to go back and getting more of an insight into their development and the people who've made them uh yeah it's just made them all the more all the more special really what didn't you like about the game so i think there is when you get stuck you get stuck right and there's like there is an element with those games of like pixel hunting or things you can you can miss where you're kind of like just you know you're you're you might have missed something and you just haven't put the cursor over that bit of the screen so i think that is um a slight limitation i think they're generally like visually quite well, everything's well signposted but there, there's you know, sometimes some people will just miss stuff i mean in some more modern games and like rookie's done this we have like a you click with the sticks in and it'll flash everything you can interact with on the screen just to kind of avoid some of that frustration of of uh you know just missing something oh, it was right there the whole time but you just you just couldn't get it um so i think there is an, yeah that that kind of pixel hunting stuff can be a little bit problematic and i think probably there are some puzzles that are weren't really a problem at the time for me because i had lots of time in my hands but the ones where the answers could be you know didn't make that much logical sense so i think when you get to the point with the game where you're like i'm just going to try everything in my inventory that's not very much fun at that point it's just like process of elimination but i think actually monkey island's you know pretty good for that tend tended to like sidestep most of those issues but i've definitely had some of those before where it's like oh it kind of like really if you hit those that brick wall it can kind of take you out of the story but i think that's one of the reasons why it's held in such fond memory not by me by lots of people is because yeah it does a mm. pretty good does a pretty good job of all that stuff um what would you change from a design perspective then is there anything you would change from a design perspective um i don't think so actually no like i think the kind of the whole um yeah i think it's it's, I mean, I, if you go back now, I mean, actually, I don't know that in they have done like special editions of them, which I haven't played because I don't like the new art style. You know, they they and I think they can have it so that you can toggle. And I think they, I've got a feeling that those special editions may have added the kind of flashing interactable things functionality. But I don't, I don't know for sure. Um, so I guess that as a kind of quality of life thing, um, might be quite, um, might be quite. Uh, quite good and i like the fact that um uh, the more modern games have got you know voice acting in like, i think the curse is the curse of monkey island the, is that the third one the um, curse of the monkey island is the third one yeah yeah um and so yeah the uh yeah so that, was, that had like full voice acting which i kind of like but i kind of i think I, some ways with these things you kind of prefer the voice that's in your own head um so yeah i don't, I don't think i'd go back and retrofit like um like voice acting into the, the original ones which i think they probably have done for the special editions as well which is why i think i'll keep steer clear of them and keep my uh keep my um yeah my my the kind of original experience I have. it's always difficult with that stuff when you've got like you know a strong 
vision in your head and there's the kind of the games are called more impressionistic due to technical limitations you tend to have like a stronger idea of what it is in your head and when actually realized in the special edition that it maybe doesn't quite um align but yeah there's not that there's not much i'd i'd um i'd change to be honest i think they're uh yeah i think they're pretty neat i mean you could have like chapter checkpoints so like um that you could actually choose to replay it from like after you know the second chapter or the third chapter but then yeah that's like a really really minor thing so yeah i think all in all there's um there's not that much to fix well in terms of the other monkey island games anyway like i think obviously we can't just sort of move on before you know talking of the likes of the tux revenge or curse or even escape from a monkey from monkey island like um like how do you think sort of secret sort of made that through line and sort of took in you know what made secrets so good and so I, I, this isn't really a question i guess but like how did how did, what did, i'm sort of babbling over this but basically what i'm trying to say is even though this isn't really a question of sorts like how do you think um what made secrets so good carried into those sorts of games like Lechuk, like like curse like escape basically and just sort of carried on the success of the franchise before um before Telltale took over with Tales. Yeah, so I think with I guess with Secret of Monkey Island they set the the foundations in terms of the the characters and, and the world and then basically they then have the opportunity to build upon that. I think in some ways for development teams um yeah, making I guess in continuing to make a game in the same genre and world and evolving on it and expanding it um, can mean yeah, you'll get really you know, um, good results. I'm guessing there's less new stuff to do, and you can look at your previous work and critically examine what you felt worked and what you felt didn't. Um, and so yeah, I think the the secret of Monkey Island obviously had a lot of successes there. That they were able to then you know then build upon and add in you know more locations more characters and that type of thing although it was quite interesting i think in one of the anniversary streams they were saying that they were kind of like pretty much unaware like how popular it was until many many years afterwards <laughs> um so i think you know it wasn't like at the time you could look at the games charts i think that stuff took a long time to to feed through so i think it was only on like a publicity tour that they kind of they got that actually it was a, a big hit and and held a special place in people's hearts i think that it was a one of the artists i think it's mark ferrari and he was he only um he only knew like 15 20 years later like what an impact it had when he started working somewhere else and went wait you're the guy from who did the monkey island so i think there's um yeah i guess in the world's a bit a bit different now but i think the, the fact they're able to kind of keep the core um team members and like uh and level stuff up i think it's also like the I mean, ultimately those games are about the characters and uh the fact they're able to then you know take those characters and build upon them and look at them from different angles i think um yeah is uh yeah just set set the foundations really well for what was to you know what was to come next and i think like from my point of view i think i played so like the first the first two of my like my favorites i like i like the third one i can see um like the definitely the artistry in it i think i'm not as much of a fan just because it's like um yeah i guess it's like just a bit of a departure like visually and the fact that it includes all the 
the voice acting it will kind of almost never be that the the version of that world I have in my head. Not to say it doesn't have its its merits or look spectacular because it, you know it does. And then I think I kind of lost um, when it got to the the 3D one, which I think was Escape, right, the fourth one. Um, I kind of like wasn't really feeling it. I think it lost. Um, but then you know that was a very long time ago, and I've kind of not. Um, I've kind of been happy to leave it alone and not dig into the the Telltale stuff, which I know like people are, are fans of, of that stuff as well. So, um, but who knows? And I've also resisted. There's the big limited run, like Super Duper box with all the various different versions, which I've also resisted by buying just because a it's really really it looks like cool, um, and obviously they've they've taken the time to like do some revisions on it to, to kind of um, you know they've got some some feedback. So good on them. Um, but yeah, it's just like I like just stuff like stuff um i think that's the kind of thing is that uh yeah with all the special edition stuff i tend to i guess i'm twice i'm probably like a really old man i've got to the age where it's like i don't want the clutter so it's like um like extra editions like just give me the game uh, or like a nice art print and then i'm uh i'm a happy chap but that's probably me you know being a grumpy old man so <laughs> um so then um Top three Monkey Island games. How would you rank them? Obviously, Secret at the top, but how would you rate two and three? Uh, yeah, I'd I'd basically do them like the f- Secret top, um, and then the second one, second, and and the Curse Curse third. I think. I think. Um, yeah, and I think for for me there would be a, a kind of uh, a noted gap after those three. But yeah, the the, the first two definitely. Have, um, yeah, really a strong place. And I think one one of the games I actually did really like, like um, the. I really like the Last Crusade, the Indiana Jones uh, one they did, and Fate of Atlantis. But I think the one there's, there's a bit of magic in the Last Crusade, the kind of LucasArts adventure game, not the actiony game. So I think there was an actiony game as well. Was that it came with a Grail diary? So like, so actually you had a physical Grail diary. I mean, it wasn't like leather; it was just like printed. Um, but the um, the fact that you had an actual book you could thumb through and find out clues to the game was like a bit of a bit of gaming magic and I really kind of lament <laughs> the loss of instruction manuals um, and just like you know those kind of things like even when they are included now with box games they're not the same as like Link to the Past where you go through and see the illustrations of all the different like stuff you can collect so um, yeah that, that's uh, really good but yeah definitely Secret of Monkey Island and then uh, you know Chuck's Revenge in, in the second spot and then uh, yeah Curse following it and that's definitely um yeah, that's definitely where I'd do it. And actually, interestingly, now right at the moment, I'm after watching some of those anniversary streams. Um, I'm reading on Stranger Tides, which is the book that he that they read, to, which partly inspired the um, uh, the first game. So that's kind of fun. Cause I didn't even know there was a book that kind of was the inspiration. So it's kind of fun to go back and then read the read the book that inspired the original game. So that's kind of fun. Um, let me rephrase it then, like uh, rephrase the question and um, in another way. What would be your top three LucasArts games in that regard? Then, obviously, secret at the top, but like, what would be two and three for yeah, I, LucasArts? I think Grim Fandango would have to be in there just because it feels so different, and uh, and the setting is so memorable and unlike, and it, yeah, you get like lots of kind of fantasy games and it's really nice to see a game of that kind of like uh day of the dead inspiration kind of film noir it just feels like a really iconic setting for a game that um 
yeah that really really stands out so i think that would have in, that would be included um just for that uh the tw the first two monkey islands would probably have to go in there like the mm, but then oh that's really really tricky i think probably if i had to, i'd definitely go with with secret if i had to pick one of the monkey island ones and grim fandango would go in there um i'm not like i like day of the tentacle and summer max but i think they're kind of they are more out and out comedy games so i think there's like for me um yeah they're kind of not uh wouldn't be in my top my top tier so i think um yeah, I think the fate of Atlantis, to be honest, the the Indiana, the kind of second Indiana Jones one. Again, it's I guess at that point it's really um, they've they've kind of really hit their stride in terms of like the pixel art at that point, and they're just kind of like the best by a country mile and like really knocking it out out of the park. And you know, it's something really quite cool of like obviously now we've got more Indiana Jones films. Um, you know, now we've got the um, the uh, alien head one <laughs> indiana jones and the alien head um uh the crystal skull but the there was something kind of cool about oh it's a new indiana jones film but it's not a film it's a point and click game there's something quite cool about that so um yeah i'll go secret of monkey island um grim fandango and then fate of atlantis <laughs> Honorable mentions, go for it. So yeah, I mean, I think I probably touched on some of these. I mean, Ico and the Ueda games are definitely um, really up there. And I think the, the single thing that really stands out from those is the kind of character connections um, and how impactful they are. One of the games that um, uh, and another world I've mentioned before. I think that definitely has had a big impact on the kind of clean art style of Uroki and also the fact that it just really. Again, it's, so that one does have an opening cutscene, but it's very short, and then it just goes right. You're on an alien world. Off you go. You know, oh, it's full of like poisonous worms that are gonna like kill you. Oh, it's full. You know, it just really drops you in that world in the sense of being somewhere very, very, um, very, very different. Um, really, yeah, you know, that it really captures it well. I think the one of the really interesting things about that art style is the um, is. That it, you know, it does a it does a lot. Even though it's just flat colours, it can do a lot of stuff with motion that makes it appear quite sophisticated. And on the, on the same um, tack of that, I guess it's like what is it, Heart of Darkness. There's another game uh, that had the kind of uh, like these really disgusting shadowy creatures, but it was really really um, well animated. So I think it's looking back at some of those retro styles. They're they're kind of ones that really um, stand up. I think. I had a really great time playing Final Fantasy VII when uh, yeah on the PlayStation. That kind of um, yeah, I spent a lot of time playing that, and it, so the fact that it was so big and epic and there's so much stuff to do is cool. But the the remake, I, I just left me, and maybe it's like my resilience to cutscenes has changed, has been eroded. So um, I wasn't quite so willing to sit through everything this time around. Um, but uh, yeah, I think one of the the first. It's the first like Japanese games that really made me sit up and notice, which is um, the Secret of Mana. That was a SquareSoft game, and um, yeah, and it had three-player co-op. I think it had three-player co-op. So yeah, you could ever, you could actually jump in there with friends, and that made it feel um, quite uh, quite unique. Silent Hill Two is another one like there. Um, I got really into playing Resident Evil Director's Cut on PlayStation One to the point where. Um, I did it where uh, there's like a, if you 
if you complete it in under I think it's two and a half hours, then you can get a rocket launcher to play through from the start. Um, and so I did the kind of got good enough that I could run through the whole game and do it in two and a half hours, and then got the rocket launcher, and then realised it was exceptionally dull having the rocket launcher because so I was I was often with those things. You're like that sounds amazing. You go oh, actually, it's not as much fun as I, fun as I thought. But that really, I think the the there's something really interesting about the first Resident Evil, and I really like it. Had those really kind of naff, like filmed introductions. I don't know if you remember those, where it had like you know the went through the actually had filmed actors, the original ones, which was almost like a, a what a, you know what a Japanese sensibility thought an American B movie was. Uh, so it was just like a really funny, odd, odd thing. But that kind of really opened my eyes to horror games and obviously you've got one of my best friends binster he's a massive silent hill fan and, and silent hill 2 i remember playing silent hill 2 and being like wow it's really you know really um um really intense and again that's one of the games where the music really adds a lot to the game and the world and um yes yeah, so that one always will have a really uh a special place especially seeing as i grew up with like 90s grunge so there's like the kind of Akira uh, Yamamoto stuff really yeah it feels like that you know part of growing up um yeah and the ones that that, that we've touched upon the kind of souls born games I guess that recently I've I did like when they first came around and I doubt I've I'd missed out on getting a PS5 but I think yeah I'm okay with that I've learned, I've made my piece <laughs> the um I think Demon Souls I, I did play Demon Souls when it first came out on PS3 and we're like this is unplayable like why is it so hard and the penny hadn't dropped about how you know that you don't play it like other games and i think with when i i think i started on like weirdly I did it all wrong uh, i started at dark souls 3 and i was like and, and that, uh, i know maybe it's bloodborne and then dark souls 3 but basically at that point the kind of penny dropped to like okay you don't play this like another game it's almost like a gambling thing where it's like risk and reward like you can push a bit further into the game world and then go back and like bank your chips and level up your character and then, and then go again and um and once i kind of that kind of that risk reward of how how comfortable you are in venturing into the world versus like banking and leveling up your character i found like massively addictive um and i do have quite an addictive personality but that was one thing i was like wow i really uh, that felt like a really cool thing and as soon as the the penny dropped that's how you were meant to to play it that i found those really um rewarding so i've been enjoying going back and playing through those um but then yeah at the moment like i've been really you know, quite very tasteful i've been really enjoying playing coffee talk which is like a visual novel novel where you run a coffee shop in um i think it's like seattle or toronto somewhere but it's like a world that's kind of uh full of like elves and orcs but the orcs workers like game developers and they're all kind of hipsters and they all go to this coffee shop and it's about them and their problems um, and then I kind of snafu'd uh, the the Phoenix Wright trilogy, so I'm enjoying playing. That, that, that's going to take me a long time. But yeah, it's like um, I think the variety of the experiences and what the thing that now still delights me about games and playing games is the variety of, of experience that's there. Um, you know, games aren't all about space marines and shooting things. Like there's all manners of different play experiences and stories and characters and messages and you know, creators from all around the world. Um, telling all different types of stories. I think that's really, yeah, really super powerful thing about games. Mm. I think I think that's the sort of through line there of sort of discussing your list of favorite games. Whether that is you know the likes of Secret of Monkey Island and your honorable mentions that 
Yeah, the, like, there's a lot of variety in terms of, you know, how games are made, cultures behind um, the varied list of uh, AAA and indie there. I think that's very fascinating, is that through multiple facets, it's a varied list. Mm. And I think it's, we, we touched on it earlier, like the like having wider interests than the kind of thing that you're making. And so, like, it's an interesting example. So, like, when I was... Uh, I've never really been massively into first-person shooters, but when we started working with Gorilla, I then took it on myself to go, okay, well, let's let's try this stuff out. Let's see if I can see what I find interesting about them. And I actually started to really enjoy them and look at them from, like, a... I almost dissected them and look at them from, like, a different angle. Um, and then I got really into, like, Destiny. And actually, there's... It's an interesting like things of like obviously like watching different films or reading, but in terms of like playing a wide variety of games, like the like Destiny's UI, you wouldn't think it, but has a direct influence on Rookie. So obviously like two games probably couldn't be further apart, but the way in Destiny how what you have the kind of UI cuticle that will slow down when you when you approach something you're going to interact with. And basically I was inspired by that. And so on, on in Rookie when you're trying to use items on things, um we tried to really balance it's something you'd usually do with a mouse, but we didn't want to use a mouse. We wanted to use a you know, controller for consoles. And so we spent a lot of time making it feel really tactile and kind of snappy. So we had like, um, when you dragged an item close to an object, it would kill the, the cursor speed almost to give that sense of... Ta- and that's basically something that um, I was like, oh, you know, Destiny does that. I wonder what it's like if we try that in our game. And so... Yeah, I think you can take inspirations and, and learnings because a lot of people will try a lot of things before and even if it's a different genre or a completely different story, a lot of those learnings will still be applicable to what you're making. So. Top three games ever. How would you rank them? Obviously, Secret of Monkey Island at the top, but what else would you sort of put in second and third? Oh, that's really difficult. That's really difficult. So I would definitely, I think, I would go uh, Secret of Monkey Island top. I would go... Ico second, and I would go Another World third. Um, and I'm guessing with like nostalgia, I'd probably tend to like gravitate towards uh, like slightly older, older things. And like with the with the Soulsborne games, I kind of like kind of lumped them all into one game in my um, in my head. So I'm guessing that would be my overall list. Um, yeah, yeah, and the uh, yeah, and I do really like those Soulsborne games though. But yeah, I think they I think they would they would sit outside of it. But of the modern games, like they're they're some of the ones that I um yeah that I really enjoy the most. I think that's that's a good uh, sort of segue then. Um, like, what is it about those? So what is it about older games that sort of attracts you most to them than you know the newer stuff like the Souls games? Like, for just discussional sake, a Horizon or a Control or whatever for um like. Yeah. So I suspect there's probably a certain amount of like me being uh, relatively time poor now. And so like the fact that some of those games are kind of simpler experiences, which is why I tend to gravitate more, more towards playing indie games now, because they don't tend to have to be so epic and have so many different like threads or missions. Uh, the fact that they can be quite um, stripped back in some ways, I think me now I, I enjoy smaller gaming experiences i will struggle to play a game that's going to be like 30 or 40 hours long let alone one that is um like 70 um but then that said i, I have sunk that amount of time into each of the, the souls balls games but i think there's a almost like a gentle um a drip drip there um 
But yeah, I think that's the kind of something about the clarity of experience, um, that, that some of the simplicity of, the, of those uh, of those games and like indie games now. Actually, one game I really really like, which I haven't um, spoken about, is Celeste, and that's a great example of how um, a very important story can be told in gameplay mm. and what you're what you're doing rather than than um, and cut scenes. So I think that's a really great example of. Uh, you know another great example of, of storytelling in games and um yeah so yeah I'll, i will just i'll could keep on talking all day long about it there's the one called like i think it's called brothers tale of two sons and that's mm. an, another great example of kind of narrative in in games but yeah i think more like now like I, I, like a game like 15 hours tops i think is what i kind of uh like now like anything between five and 15 hours is like that's the kind of the the golden window for me um same and it and it's not um it's not out of the question to go longer than that because i was like i wouldn't say horrified but i was when animal crossing came out and um my i think my friend was he wasn't stalking me but he i think he was checking up on my uh, like nintendo id how many hours i'd spent in that game and he told me i was like oh my god number one stop stalking me and two that is outrageous amount of time i've been playing at spending animal crossing um so yeah i guess it's what it's just what um uh what grabs you but you know i like a mix i think it's like like everything in life the variety is good um and it's good to be open to trying new things like new or old and seeing what you as like a creative or a player you know a player it's almost like the curse of the game developer that you sometimes you can't play stuff without analyzing it and going oh that's quite interesting so sometimes it's nice just to try and play something as a player rather than like um uh, like analyzing what you think works or doesn't work, just actually unhook your developer brain and just enjoy it. Mm. Space of life. Mm. Um, out of curiosity, how, how much did you put in the Animal Crossing? Oh, I think it was was it 140 hours? I think it <gasps> might have been 140 hours. I basically had a whole Twin Peaks thing going on where I was like, right, I'm gonna make um, like the Twin Peaks diner and like the Black Lodge, um, and yes, yeah, so I was playing it a lot. Um, but then I, I just kind of I just like, hit a wall and stopped. I think um, yeah, and it'd be nice to go back, but then I flogged it, so <laughs> no return. It's almost like the kind of like it was almost like an intervention in like trading it in for another game. I was like, right, well now I, I you know I'm I'm free. Freedom. Yeah, <laughs> yeah exactly. <laughs> Freedom from Tonnook. Yeah. Freedom from that raccoon snake oil selling bastard. <laughs> Yeah, he is a crook. He is a fucking crook. But actually, you know that that I mean, if you want to look at the power of computer games, uh, video games like that. That game is like something in what has been a, a yeah, a really horrible year. Like a game that has mm. given given such a large amount of people such a large amount of comfort is pretty is a pretty special thing. Um, you know, I don't think you could really point out a movie or a book that has that had the same kind of triumph in that area as Animal Crossing has done this year. Well, yeah, our game, uh, Rookie, is out now on uh, Steam, GOG, and Nintendo Switch. Um, yeah, it's a it's a 3D explorer puzzle adventure game with a strong emotional core. So if you like uh, things to pack a bit of a punch, then it's worth checking out. And uh, yeah, our studio, you can it's Polygon Treehouse, and you can follow us on Twitter at Polytreehouse, and 
my personal Twitter if you want to see pictures of my vegan cookery experiments, uh, which is fascinating. Uh, that's at Canaratron. So yeah, you're more than welcome to um, to uh, pop along and see what what we're up to and what we're going to be up to in the future. Thanks for listening to My Favourite Game, a podcast by Play Diaries where people in the games industry come on to talk of their favourite game. If you want to listen to future episodes of My Favourite Game or press play before they go live publicly, please consider subscribing to our $2 tier on Patreon at patreon.com slash playdiaries. Next week, Kelsey Hansen on Mass Effect 2. Oh my god, we finally have a Mass Effect 2 episode! We have a Mass Effect episode! Yes! Until next week, bye-bye.